What a blessing it is to worship as God's people, whether we are at home or whether we are gathered. I love gathered. It's such a blessing to be with you uh, this weekend and to uh, lift our voices and lift our hearts before him. Um, I'm wearing a very special shirt this weekend. This is my Team Bryson uh, shirt. Many of you may be aware we're praying for a young man named Bryson who um, is connected with our church and our children's ministry, and we've been lifting him to the Lord. Uh, He's fighting a battle against a rare blood cancer, and we just want to lift him in Jesus' name and lift his whole family in Jesus' name. So I like it because it's really bright, and it says Waymaker on it. And we believe in the Waymaker. Well, we are in our series uh, that I'm calling Kingdom Culture, and we're beginning to look at this uh, flight uh, that we're launched on, this amazing path that He has put us on. And I'm excited to dig in on this. We're at Beatitude number six, which is Matthew uh, chapter five, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's read that out loud together. Get our voices going. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. An amazing statement. Now, I'm going to read this passage. We're reading it each week in a a little bit of a different way, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. I want to ask you, uh, do some of you remember this uh, Bible called The Way? Any any of you remember that? How many of you had that one? I know that I had that one. It was the first Bible that was mine. Well, I had had a children's reader's Bible, and my granny had given me a little tiny Bible, but this was the first Bible that I read, that I opened, that I took into me, that I consumed, and, um, and I really loved it. It was, uh, it was printed in 1971. That's when it was released, um, and it was really at the center of the Jesus movement. I mean, uh, everybody had these. Billy Graham read it, and he said, this is great, and he ordered tons of them, and he passed them out and distributed them. It actually is a, uh, an edition of the Living Bible, which you may know or be familiar with. And the Living Bible is actually a paraphrase. I'm trying to do a little teaching on the differences. A paraphrase is not a translation. Uh, it is a, a gathering of thoughts that expresses the same thing. In fact, I was listening to Pastor Ann teach uh, just a little bit ago, and she was paraphrasing. Uh, how do you say some of these things, especially to children? And that's actually the way that the Living Bible began. Uh, Kenneth Taylor, who's the founder of Tyndale Press, was doing devotions with his family, with his kids. And and he was saying, these are hard concepts, so I'm going to put them into words that they'll understand. That's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. But it's a really exciting way to communicate God's Word, and it's a good tool to use. Later, people loved it, but they said, "Eh, it's not a translation. And so uh, they began working on translating in a similar way and came out with the New Living Translation, the NLT Bible. It was released in 1996, um, and it's been revised several times since then, uh, and it's called a thought-for-thought translation. Uh, And so there's word-for-word, and uh, New American Standard is word-for-word, English Standard is word-for-word, very close. Uh, But this is more thought for thought, but it's not a paraphrase. So it's actually an excellent translation in case, how many of you use this? Yeah, and it's really a great, great translation. It's very accurate. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 1 through 5, 1 through 12 in the NLT. And let's just gather in from a different perspective. There are a few things that are a little bit different in here. One day he saw the crowds gathering. 
Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now let's stand and let's thank God for his word. God, we love you and we want to see you. Show us the way, show us the path, show us how we are to grasp a close walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I've been building a kind of a picture that is our Space Coast understanding of uh, the Beatitudes. And this, you know, it's going to be famous someday, and you'll hear about it, and you'll say, yeah, I was there when this first came out. But I call it the rocket science of the kingdom and the elements of a launch, these things that we're familiar with. And it starts with the ignition, which is the realization that I desperately need God because I have nothing on my own. Without God, I have nothing, I am nothing. I don't have anything to offer to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it was a little bit different in the NLT. And it's also a little bit different in Luke's uh, version, which is the Sermon on the Plain. So uh, you just probably noticed that difference, but we're talking about poor in spirit. Secondly, fuel. We need fuel if we're going to launch. And the Holy Spirit meets me. I made this all first person. Meets me at the points of mourning in my life when I have lost, when I have struggles, when I go, oh man, why did that happen? I can't believe I lost that. And it could be a very huge thing. Holy Spirit comes alongside us and fills us and meets us in those hard, hard places. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then the third thing that we need to take off is thrust. And that's the force of meekness that will take the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then we talked about trajectory. God has a plan, he has a destiny, he has an impact for me and for you. He he didn't start you, he didn't call you, he didn't launch you, he didn't light you and ignite you so that you could just fizzle out. Absolutely not. He has a destiny for you. So trajectory, what what I've come to learn as I've studied this, is defined by position, momentum, path, and purpose, those four things. Those are the next uh, Beatitudes that we've been looking at. In in other words, it it asks the question, well, where are you, and, and what is the energy that is moving you, momentum, and what is your heading, and what happens when you get there? So we talked about position. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. 
The only position that is valid that we can have is in Christ, the righteousness that is in Christ. Find our position of righteousness in Christ. There is nothing else. And then momentum. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That I, I described it as a circle. As, as we extend the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ, we receive more mercy. And then we extend the mercy and we gain momentum. And that is going to give us a powerful impact. And then today we're going to talk about path. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're talking about navigation now. In navigation, they'll often ask the question, well, what is your heading? I know that because I watch TV. (laughs) I'm not a navigator, but they'll ask, well, what is your heading? And and what does that mean? I mean, the official definition is the heading of a vessel or an aircraft is is the compass direction uh, in which the craft's bow or nose is pointed. You may actually be be going in a little bit different direction, but you're pointed. I I thought it's so obvious. Your heading is where you're headed, (laughs) It's where you're pointed. That's your heading. And the heading for a spacecraft is guided by global positioning. Uh, and it sets a path so that you'll, you'll get where you're going. And it will make course corrections along the way. There are some other aspects that will affect the course or the track. It can be a little bit different. We'll talk about that actually a little bit later. But the heading sets the path where you are going. And it's vital. Uh, if the heading is off, you're not going to get where you're going. You're not going to get where you wanted to go. You're not going to get where you were. If it remains uncorrected, you're not going to be pointed in the right direction. In kingdom life, our path is the direction we are pointed in terms of the kingdom of God. Our destination is to see God, and the path is the way we're going to get there, and our path is purity in heart. That's what Jesus said that's what he, d- he described. And we, we said it out loud a few moments ago, but we can say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's say it out loud. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the, the ESV says, shall see God. And it's just, uh, some of the, the uh, translations are a little bit different. David Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous interpreter, expositor uh, in England. And, and he... Um, he described this. I, that man has a lot of names, doesn't he? <laughs> a lot of names. But he, he's, he's really brilliant. And he calls this one of the most magnificent and yet one of the most solemnizing and searching statements to be found anywhere in Scripture. I can promise you that the, at the end of this study that we do today, we will not have exhausted the depth of this phrase, the depth of this sentence. We just won't. We could study this for a year and we would get a little bit deeper, but uh, we, so we want to dig in on it and and try and understand what's going on here. Um, I want to begin with the end in mind. What does it mean to see God? That's at the end of the sentence. What does that mean? You know, if I were to ask you uh, or ask someone, well, do you want to see God? You could take that a lot of different ways. (laughs) If it was said in a threatening sort of way, you might not want to hear that. And if I asked you today, you know, a lot of people might say, well, yes, I think so, but not today. Uh, And I might say, well, why not? Uh, And we might say, well, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready to see God. Or I think he might be mad at me. I've had a bad week or something like that. We tend to think uh, about seeing God only in terms of eternity. 
And, and I want to suggest to you, yes, that's a big part of seeing God. But seeing God, more importantly, is the thing that gives joy and meaning to every day. And we want to see God. We want to see God right now. We want to see God every moment. Uh, and I thought, how can I put that? I looked around for some, some posts or some things, and I thought, well, then I, I have this real pretty picture. That's a Brevard Beach. And uh, I, I know on social media, I have some friends that I, I know are the beach people. I mean, I have a couple of friends. They post a sunrise every day, every day. You're going to get a sunrise. from. And there are others that, well, they're not up that early, but they post a sunset every day. And it's just the seeing God in his creation. If we'll stop and look and listen, it's an amazing thing. I find more and more. I, I want to see God and I see God in these, uh, in these beautiful parts of his creation, but I see God in children. I mean, last night we had this fabulous gathering that was here for the trunk or treat, all these families and all these kids and just all these beautiful children. And it, I, I see God. I see God working in families. I see God in blessings all the time. Sometimes I see God uh, just in someone that's been struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling, and then there's a breakthrough, and I see God is at work amazingly in this person. Uh, people that, that maybe others have written off, and I see the lights are starting to come on, and they're starting to connect, and the Spirit of God is coming to life in them. And we, and we see that, that life actually becomes abundant when we see God all around us. And, and there are times when, I don't know what it is for me, it's just the distractions of life, uh, where there's so much going on that, that I'm just not seeing, and I just need to slow down, need to stop, need to clear some of that aside and look around. And I'm amazed at how God reveals himself. Sometimes there's something I've just struggled and struggled with, and then I go to sleep, and in the night I wake up, and there it is. There's the answer. There's the key. And insight, I didn't know a fact or, or something I had not seen before. And so if we will look around, I want to see God. I want to see God right now. I want to see God everywhere that I look. I want to see him in every way that he has devised for me to see him. So that's where we're going. That's what I want. It's not, we're not talking about heaven by and by, Okay. So pure in heart is the path. That's the, that's the track. And I want to suggest to you, it's the only way to seeing God. If you want to be a person who is seeing God, this is the only way. And you might say, well, why does it matter how I get there as long as I get there? There's no other way. That's why. This is the way Jesus said you know, every once in a while, you'll ask directions like, can you tell me how to get to Sop Choppy? Do you even know where Sop Choppy is? And somebody will say, you can't get there from here. <laughs> Have you ever? And you ask directions. And really what the scripture tells us is you can't get there. You can't get to seeing God by your own path. If you choose your own path, you won't get there. The Bible teaches you can't get there by your own path, Proverbs 14, 12. It's really one of my favorites. I put it in the NLT because it uses the word path. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It doesn't just end off track. It ends in death. Uh, the, the way I memorized it was there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It will lead you away. And so we want to know the heading. 
How do we set the heading and how do we lock in that path? So we need to know what Jesus meant by pure in heart. And we, we could look at that, you know, I was listening to the student message. It was, it's so rich, that first giving of the law. And God says, you need to clean up. You need to prepare. This is a really holy moment. You need to prepare and consecrate yourselves at your insides. And you need to wash up. <laughs> this is like Sunday best, like never you've ever seen. So you need to wash your clothes and get ready and sanctify yourself on the outside and the inside. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, the outside or the inside, outside, inside. Pure in heart speaks to the inside. I think the Bible teaches us that our navigation device in life is the heart. That's that's what guides us. And we, we talk about the heart in a lot of different ways. The heart is mentioned in the Bible nearly a thousand times. How I many of you know that's a lot in Bible? <laughs> and the Greek word that Jesus used for heart is cardia, say cardia, from which we get cardiology and cardiac and all those kinds of physical heart words. So it, it does describe that. And in the world, we, we tend to think of the heart as the center of emotions and affections. Uh, in February, we draw a lot of hearts and send a lot of hearts and we... Uh, we do the whole Valentine thing. But the Bible uses the word heart differently. The Bible uses the word heart to refer to the spiritual center of your life, the center of who you are and how you're being guided and how you're being directed. Heart in Bible language is where thoughts and desires, sense of purpose, will, understanding, and character reside. It's very much who you are, although it's described differently from, from the intellect and from the mind, what you think, although what you think influences the heart. But this is where you make commitments. And, and, and we talk about having heart for a cause, or we talk about devotion for country and love and family. So the heart is the center of commitment and character and devotion. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you have probably memorized it's a favorite. Let's read it out loud together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That's how we find the path. Our heart is going to help us in, in finding the path. That's our navigation point. And really, as we study it, the gospel is all about the heart and not the head. You can't think your way into salvation. You can't argue your way before God into being saved. The pursuit of God is not a matter of understanding a whole lot about God. It's a a matter of a heart change. It is all about heart. The heart is changed by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's a change that takes place, Romans 10, 17. And while doctrine is really important, it is really important. And truth is very essential. It's important to know the truth. The Lord is after your heart above all. So when we talk about gospel, we need to remember that. You're not going to argue someone into the kingdom. I I, I mean, I really believe in apologetics and, and all of those important things of the mind, But it's primarily a matter of the heart. 
The Christian faith is not primarily even about conduct or external behavior. It's about the heart. It's about what's inside. We, I think, have made the mistake in church history of trying to, let's make people behave. (laughs) If we could just get people to behave, I could just get myself to behave. If I get the exterior right, then the interior will probably shape up. It's not that way at all. He's after our hearts. You know, the Bible even describes God as having a heart. Well, duh. We're created in the image of God. So, of course, God has a heart. And the, and the Lord God, this is where his, emo, his emotions and desires and intentions are. Acts uh, chapter 13 uh, describes King David. It says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So you have a whole lot in there. A man after my heart, what does that mean? Someone who does all of his will. Jeremiah 3 talks about, and I will give you shepherds, pastors, leaders after my own heart, who are after my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so it's, an, it's one of the number one things for us as pastors and leaders and teachers is to be after the heart of God, pursuing the heart of God. The big problem is with the heart of man in our, in our unsaved condition. Jeremiah 17, 9 is this amazing verse. It says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Wow. The biggest liar in your life is right here. It says above all things. I'm not. We look around, we say, well, that politician is a liar and, and this TV show is a liar. The biggest liar, the most frightening one, because so easy for us to be deceived is right here. It's our own heart. And desperately sick, who can understand it? So in our flesh, that's what it's talking about. In our sinful nature, the heart cannot be trusted at all. The human heart without Jesus is desperately wicked and deceitful. And so you'll hear, oftentimes, I hear people say uh, to a, a young person, they say, just follow your heart and you will be okay. How many of you know that is not it? No. No. In fact, follow your heart is the best way to get way, way away from God. It's the way that seems right to a man, and it ends in death. The Bible says something different, and it's wonderful. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. I love that because I think there are desires in our heart that are right desires that he fulfills, that he will give you the right desire in your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. We're getting closer to pure in heart. And we say, well, who understands this heart of man? Well, God understands. He says so. God understands our hearts. He knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 44, for he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows, you know, did you know you can't hide from God? You can't lie to God. There's nothing you can hide from him. Lord, I'd rather you just didn't see that. It doesn't happen. There's not anything, any trepidation, any anxiety, any fear that you're hiding from him. He is God. He sees it all. He knows it all. And we also know from scripture that salvation is a matter of the heart. Romans 10.10, for with the heart, one believes with the heart. Again and again, one believes and is justified. This is the, the salvation point. 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Ezekiel chapter 36, this promise, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, give you one that responds. Sin actually finds its origin in the heart. It's not so much what you do, it's in the heart. Jesus said it, Mark chapter 7, he says, for from within, out of the, let's say the word, heart, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, all that stuff that the student message was talking about, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. They all said, we'll obey you, we'll obey you. They didn't know what was ahead. <laughs> sensuality, they needed a savior, didn't they? Sensuality, envy, slandering, uh, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That's the origin in, in, in our lostness. Now, when Jesus was, was coming with his life and message, purity of heart was going to approach this thing of religious hypocrisy. It's one of the main things that Jesus spoke to and addressed. The Jewish people that he was talking to really didn't, you know, I'm sure that they sinned. But for the most part, they had the exterior stuff. They had the rules down. Matthew's gospel uses uh, the word hypocrite 13 times more than any other gospel, more than any other. Hypocrite is, is actually a New Testament word, and it's related to the Greek theater. It literally means mask wearer. It meant a theater person, so don't get on my case about that, all right? But literally a mask wearer, because they wore masks uh, in the theater. You, you showed what character you were by putting a mask over your face. And Jesus called the Pharisees and the scribes of the law religious mask wearers. You're just wearing a mask, but I see right through it. Jesus sees right through it. They followed all of those rules, 613 rules to the letter, but their inward motivation and their passions were far from God. Their heart was not pure. Their heart was far from God. And they even learned how to use their knowledge of the rules to get what they wanted. And Jesus really slammed that. I mean, of anything he came down on, it was that tendency, I'm going to use my religiousness, I'm going to use my righteousness to get what I want. No, that's not what he was after. There's a saying that, that we've had for a long time that in teaching, it's that motive matters and character counts. And, and, and we want to remember that. Motive matters and character counts. It's not only did you do the right thing, but why did you do it? You see, the human heart can do the right things in order to attain what it wants. The human heart can direct things, but for the wrong reasons. And that's why we need a pure heart. You know, I've studied this uh, a while, and, and it's occurred to me, just so you know, that a totally unselfish act is not possible. It's just not possible. And I'll tell you why. If you do a completely anonymous act of charity, what happens? You feel good. <laughs> you just do. You just can't help it. And you say, well, nobody could see. I was so careful, nobody could see. Guess who could see? Yeah, God could see. So a completely, un now I think God is able to do a completely, completely unselfish act 
He, he can remain. I, I'll bet there's just all kinds of stuff that's just anonymous all around us. That's why we want to pursue and see God and see God in all these places. There's probably stuff that has already happened to you all during this day that he was going, oh, I've got to watch out for this, got to watch out for that. I need to protect this, need to protect that. Need, I think I'm going to bless this. We just blow on by. It's not, it's not even because we aren't watching. He just prefers to be anonymous. So he's capable of that. But the human heart, even in our saved condition, I don't think we can get there, but we can pursue it. And we can seek to have a pure heart. So what is pure in heart? The commentators are divided, of course. Just say, of course. <laughs> and, and there's a whole group that says pure in heart is about inner moral purity. It's about morality. It's about what you think and what you feel and somehow getting that straight by the Spirit and getting that straight uh, through the Word of God. Um, and that's opposed to the ceremonial uncleanness, that Jesus was saying you need to be clean on the inside and the outside will take care of itself. And, and others, there's a whole other group that say no, that pure in heart is about single-mindedness. It's, it's about a heart that is free from the tyranny of being divided, uh, the, the double-minded man that James talks about. Now, which one is it? I would say the answer is yes. <laughs> it's both of these things. And, and we need to understand that. The Greek word that uh, is used here for pure uh, in, in Matthew 5, 8 is katharos. Say that with me, katharos. And so katharos, um, it means to be clean, blameless, unstained. We get the word catharsis from this word. And specifically, it means purified, and it's pretty strong, purified by fire. How many of you know that's very difficult? <laughs> purified by fire or by pruning, by, by cutting. And so that's what it's talking about. If, if we are to be pure in heart, you know, if we want to be pure in heart and we're not willing to be corrected, it, it's just not going to happen. We, we need to be corrected by God. We need to be corrected by the word of God. We need to be corrected by people around us who love us. John the baptizer told the people that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a burning away of that which is unclean. Um, Malachi speaks of the Messiah as being like a refiner's fire. The fire gets really, really hot. The bad stuff comes to the surface, it's skimmed off, and it's purified. Jesus also uh, talks about people, believers, as, as branches in the vine that will be pruned at some point. Oftentimes we think of that like, well, there's going to be some branches that get cut off and you don't want to be one of those branches. But it can also mean a pruning, uh, just a pruning in our lives. I don't know if you've ever had your life pruned. Where God says, you've gotten way too complicated and way too busy. I'm going to prune away some of the things that need to be pruned away. And God will do that. It's all talking about pure. You see, pure describes those who have been declared innocent because of the work of Jesus, but who are also being purified by his refining fire and pruning. Because we're just in a, we're in a path. We're, we're, we're on a journey. The redeemed heart is always a work in progress. How many of you know that? It's a work in progress. God's working on me. Matters of the heart are these things that go on inside of us all the time. Have you ever noticed that there's sort of an ongoing narrative that's just going around? There's a commentary about things. And sometimes it's hard to shut it down, just be still. I think that's why God tells us, you need to just be still. But it's the stuff that's going on in our heads all the time. 
You, you have matters of the heart going on right now. In the gospel, it's not about trying to get people to behave. It's about getting our hearts right with God, our hearts centered in God. I would suggest to you that every problem that we encounter, whether it's in ourselves or in the world, is actually a heart problem. It's, and it's a matter of purity uh, within us. It's something that needs to be fixed inside of us. It's, uh, it's something that needs to be fixed, uh, that heart problem. Being pure in heart also, the other definition, means singleness of the heart or singleness of the mind toward God. They're related. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. You know, sometimes I just have to ask myself, now what is my motive in this? And it's great to have people who are, you're accountable to. I've had a man say to me, uh, that looks like the right thing to do, Jeff, but what is your motive? And I had to really think about it and realize my motive was not such a great motive in doing that right thing. And so we, we need to, to get a hold of that. The pure heart is marked by a transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's, it's more about something inside than something on the outside. So where do we start? We need to ask Jesus to do the cleansing work. Now, if we do that, I mean, there, there could be some pain in that. But David, David prayed this prayer, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, or a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's a prayer we could pray every single day and not, and not go wrong. God is the one who makes our hearts pure. Uh, by the sacrifice of his son and the sanctifying work of the spirit in our lives. So he, he's given us freedom by his sacrifice, but also he's sanctifying us, he's pruning us, he's purifying us. And the amazing thing about the gospel is the gospel is this offer to raise me and you out of the pit of self-deceit uh, so that we can move toward heaven. The truth is that we will only see God when we are pure in heart, when our heading is set with purity on him. Now, I think we get glimpses all the time. I think it's the, the encouragement that we are discovering what pure in heart is. If you have a day in which you've, you've just been with the Lord and, and there's a purity of your heart, you're going to start seeing God. You'll see the sparks. You'll see the flashes. It's going to be all around you. Uh, but that's the place where we're going to find it. Purity of heart is this path without hypocrisy, a single-minded, single-eyed devotion. Psalm 86, 11 says it beautifully. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. There, there's a phrase that was uh, penned by a 19th century theologian uh, who's my favorite. Um, Soren Kierkegaard wrote, Purity of heart is to will one thing. Why don't we say that out loud together? Purity of heart is to will one thing. He's a 19th century Danish theologian. And so if anybody ever asks you, they just say, what's your favorite 19th century theologian? Just say Soren Kierkegaard. And they'll probably squint and say, oh, yeah, yeah. If they ask why, you can say purity of heart is to will one thing. He wrote a treatise by that title, and, and it describes this 
amazing uh, directive to be pointed toward God. He said, um, if we wish to follow Jesus faithfully, if we wish to be holy, we must understand the necessity of willing only one thing. To will only one thing, which is the good, is to be pure of heart. To will anything other than the good, which is the very will of God, is actually to will more than one thing and to be double-minded. There's a lot of good things, and the good becomes the enemy of the best. We don't want that to happen. So how do I do this? How do I set my path of my life? So these things may be obvious because we've already talked about them a little bit. But first of all is to pray. And that prayer is a beautiful one. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And then to, on a regular basis, set your heading toward God. I was reminded of Romans 12 that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, meaning your whole self, present your whole self as a living sacrifice, no going back, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our worship is to present ourselves to God. And the third is to focus on the things that are pure, Many of you love this scripture as well, Philippians 4, 8. Let's read this out loud together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We can control what we think about, and that influences our heart. And then we need to be sure that we make course corrections. In, in Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's amazing to me sometimes how much we as Christian believers want to look like the world. Why? Why is that? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, have some fashion in our lives or something like that. But in so many ways, we we try to, to form our life and our lifestyles after the world. And he says, don't conform to the world. Seek after me. He's going to talk about that later in the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything that you need, everything that is a blessing will be there for you. How do we make the course corrections? The word of God. We have to be in the word of God. Prayer, accountable fellowship. All of those things are tools. Word of God corrects me all the time. It's not just something we do for fun. It's fun. I love to study the Bible. Prayer and then accountable fellowship. You have somebody who loves you enough. Iron sharpens iron. Who loves you enough to... I won't say get in your face because it's not an ugly thing, but loves you enough to say, you know, we need to talk. Let me talk to you. I see something. I need to talk to you. I love you enough to talk to you about it. You know, I was thinking about it. It's like, are you under the authority of mission control? Jesus is mission control. Are you under authority? It's really important because accountability has to do with authority. 
I've watched a lot of launches, and I've never had one, you know, where they said, uh, this is mission control, you're heading off course, <laughs> you need to fix this, you need a course correction, and then uh, they come back and say, well, mission control, this is the shuttle commander, and we like our course just fine. I mean, we would say they've gone rogue, and going rogue is not an option in the body of Christ. It's not an option in, in the kingdom. And the fifth thing I think is so very important, guard your heart. You know, the, the scripture says it, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The English Standard Version says, keep your heart with all vigilance. You know, I, I think about this time of year and the fun that we have and the costumes and all that, but we need to be very careful. I, I, see, I see young people watching horrible movies and, and, and kind of talking about it as a boast and a party or something on, on social media. And, and there are ways that you can really hurt and damage your heart with media. And that's just one area. But we need to guard our heart. We need to be careful about who and what we let near to our heart and make sure we are, our heart is focused, it's pure, it's focused on Jesus. And I think about that, that scripture, Philippians 4, 7. It's just after he says, now, if anything's bothering you, you need to pray about it. Any anxiety, anything like that, lift it to the Lord. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's why prayer is so very important, to lift that stuff and not get the invasion of the stuff that's in the world. Well, there's a prayer it's in Psalm 26, and I thought, this is a great prayer. I could write a prayer, but God already did. <laughs> so I want to use God's prayer in um, Psalm 26 and uh, for us to say it together. And I invite you, it's scripture, so you'll be reading scripture. Uh, but let's pray this as a prayer together before the Lord. It is the, the New Living Translation. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. I wash my hands to declare my innocence. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of all your wonders. Father God, may that be our prayer, that you would test each and every one of our hearts. There may even be a heart hearing this right now that needs salvation, needs to, having heard the word, to come alive to faith and to express that to confess that. You can do that right now in a simple prayer and just say, Lord, I need you. I get it. I, I, I understand. I need you. I'm desperately lost without you. And I ask now that you would come in and fill me and cleanse me and save me and make me new and launch me. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this, that if there's a, a, a need, a hurt, an ache, a healing of the heart that, that is needed. Lord, that you would touch that place, that wound, that you would heal.
And God, help us to find purity of heart that as we journey, as we walk, as we progress, we may see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.